Warning, this podcast contains profanity and flagellant spaced humor. But in our defense, our fart jokes are profane in a very intellectual way. This week's episode of The Scathing Atheist is brought to you by the new educational cartoon for skeptical preschoolers. Dora the Torah Explorer. Travel back in time with a delightful Mexican girl and her primate friend to see if all that creationism stuff really happened. And then travel back even further to see what happened before the beginning. Dora the Torah Explorer. This is why there are still monkey sidekicks. And now, the scathing atheist. I'm coming to you live from Melbourne. We're here with Isabel. Isabel has an important public service announcement for all heathens out there. We did, in fact, involve some filthy monkey men. There you have it, folks. Coming up after the break, more torture. It's Thursday. It's March 17th. And it's Ridiculous Irish Stereotype Day. It is. So don't forget to wear some green and shoot a black guy who's running away. (laughs) No illusions. I'm Heath Enright. And from I'm Irish, so I was allowed to say that, Valdosta, Georgia. This is The Skating Atheist. On this week's episode, human Pez dispenser Kevin Swanson will word vomit again. Dinesh D'Souza will be extremely sensitive to sunlight. And Connor Robinson from the Humanist Service Corps will be here to remind us that indoor plumbing is fucking awesome. But first, the diatribe. We got an email from John last week asking about our thoughts on progressive theism. Now, normally we address stuff like this at the end of the show, but I think it represents such a divisive point amongst some atheists that it deserves special attention. And and I'm going to go through the email in a bit of detail here because I think it allows me to make an important point from a number of different directions. So first, for background, John is a relatively new listener, and that'll be obvious fairly early in the email. He he found us through Gone Awful Movies, and, and he just started listening to some of the archived episodes of the show. He writes in part, quote, As easy targets as the more orthodox and conservative religious nutballs are for you guys, I don't think I've ever picked up on your thoughts on more progressive sects and movements. Are organizations like the Unitarian Universalists and Episcopalians quote-unquote better, in your opinion, because they promote equality and social justice in contrast to their conservative counterparts, or does the fact that they buy into the existence of sky people still bother you? Now, I want to cut in and point out the obvious false dichotomy here. Clearly, one can answer yes to both of those questions, so there's really no need for an or there. So, yes, people who actively promote bigotry are worse than people who don't, and yes, the people who believe in sky people bother me one way or the other. Anyway, back to the email. I guess what I'm asking is, if there were people who agreed with you on all the other things except the existence of God, would you still berate them for it, or is it more important for atheists to fight against the backwards words and actions of the religious right? And I need to cut in once more to flag John for another false dichotomy. Again, no need for an or there. So yes, I would still berate them for that. And yes, it's more important to fight against the more actively bigoted and society-impairing aspects of religion. Now, we're going to come back to this, but obviously we can all agree that one's ire shouldn't be reserved for, like, only the most problematic issue in society, but rather one's ire should be proportional to those issues. So yes, if theists were just... Bigfoot hunters, I would spend significantly less of my time and energy pushing back against them. Bigfoot hunters are basically harmless, but I'd still berate them. Again, we're going to circle back to all of this, but but I want to finish uh, John's email here. So he continues. 
I bring this up because I was raised Catholic, but my pastor growing up always preached about the loving nature of Jesus and how we should care about one another more than strictly adhering to the letter of the Bible and hating fags and going to hell and whatnot. And then he sent a portion of the money that he collected to silence child rape victims and shield their abusers from justice. John didn't point that out. I just thought it was worth adding. Anyway, he continues. Plus, my mom was very adamant about science and religion not being mutually exclusive, that evolution and the Big Bang don't disprove the existence of God, and one can adhere to both. Okay, so your mom's wrong, but that's cool. But She probably didn't know it. Sorry that I'm not willing to grant her too many points for admitting that demonstrably true stuff happened and then falsely claiming that it didn't conflict with bullshit stories about angels and dragons. Uh, again, we'll circle back. And finally, John adds... At this point, I tend to call myself an agnostic, but mainly because I don't give a shit about whether or not there is a god or many gods or flying spaghetti monsters or Cthulhu or anything. I also don't really care what other people believe as long as it's not hurtful to anyone else. And then he goes on to say some very nice stuff about the work we do, which was very nice of him, but not really germane to the discussion at hand. And I should note that I, I get an email asking some variation of this question at least once a week at this point. And John's was just a little better thought out uh, than many versions of it. But the question always boils down to this. If religion was harmless, would it still bother you? Of course, the problem with this question is that we've moved so far into hypothetical land that I can't even imagine what that world would look like, right? I, I mean, as near as I can tell, the only way a religion can be harmless is if it's true. And obviously, I wouldn't berate the Catholics for their beliefs if those beliefs were correct, but promoting an untrue worldview is never harmless, and suggesting that faith is a reasonable means of obtaining truth cannot be constrained. Let's look a little deeper at John's example about his mom, right? His mom told him that you can believe in God and evolution, and while that might be conciliatory, it's incorrect. And if you understand evolution, you already know why. There's simply no room for God. To say that God guided evolution is to completely misunderstand the entire concept of natural selection or else to put humankind outside of it altogether. So at best, if you want to cling to your concept of God, you can only dig so deep into evolution before you have to start compartmentalizing. Is this as bad as promoting bigotry? Of course not. But promoting bigotry isn't as bad as raping puppies, and nobody would ever ask me to back off the bigots because of that. But the real problem I have with this notion of benign religion is that it belies the actual problem. The actual problem is isn't the bigotry or the sexism or the anti-intellectualism or even the child rape. The problem is religion. The problem is codifying a separate set of viewpoints that aren't subject to empirical disconfirmation. And there's no way to do that without inviting in the crazy people. I, I, I mean, if all you ever did with your gun is open stubborn ketchup bottles, that doesn't make guns any less dangerous. In fact, in many ways, the liberal theologist is actually more dangerous because they provide the fundamentalists with the cover, funding, and social clout that they would never be able to achieve if we just had the wackos. And without that, the wackos would be essentially powerless, right? The massive number of people who turn a blind eye to the weaponized institution is the only reason and the worst among the religionists are able to find any traction at all. The vast majority of Christians aren't racist or misogynist or homophobic or anti-intellectual. and They're not fully convinced that Jesus Christ is going to return to earth to save the good guys in the next couple of years. And yet the clout that the majority lends to the fundamentalists ends up allowing those fundies to draft policy, to take over school boards, to lobby Congress, to influence foreign policy. So, you know, you give your money to your liberal Catholic, let's all just get along priest. It goes up the chain of command. And before you know it, you're directly funding anti-marriage equality legislation in Slovenia or something. So with apologies for oversimplifying your point a bit, John, but all religion and all institutionalized bullshit, for that matter, is fully deserving of our ire, our vitriol, and our vehement objection. Because in the real world, there is no right way to be wrong. They're talking about your Jesus. We interrupt this broadcast bring you a special news bulletin. Joining me for headlines tonight is a guy who was Irish before it was cool. Heath Enright. Heath, are you ready to uh, to drink and not have enough potatoes? 
Oh, uh, wonderful. Yeah. Is, is that your full knowledge of Irish culture right there? I, got... I, I left out Lucky Charm cereal and, and the car bombs. Oh, good. Yeah. You got the other half, too. Well done. <laughs> In our lead story tonight, the liberal and conservative media conspiracies are both working hard these days to trick Donald Trump into accidentally saying something sensible, but he will not do it. It will he never will work. not be fooled into alienating his voters with reason, no matter what you ask him. And this policy really got put to the test over the last few weeks. It, it, there's got to be some kind of bet going on between, like, all the national news people about who can get him to say an entire unbigoted sentence. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> and nobody is winning, by the way. He is bulletproof. Like, Donald, what do you think about women's suffrage? Meh, they probably deserve it. You can't stump him. <laughs> Cannot say. It's like the Alex Trebek of offensive answer. Well, right. Yeah, yeah exactly. And uh, the latest example, as you might have guessed if you were guessing, involves hating Muslims. But uh, but only because they hated us first. I, so I, I just but, but it's fair. You know the thing is is he's going to get the nomination now. So this is going to go all the way to November. This game of trying. I mean, you can just imagine <laughs> how bad it's going to get. You know, fucking. Uh, uh, how about uh, Armenians, Donald? Do you maybe not hate them? <laughs> if the Turks were more efficient, we wouldn't even be talking about that. Oh fuck, yeah. um, sh- uh, Montenegrins, <laughs> perhaps. There you go. Uh, I prefer regions in a former Roman province of Dalmatia that don't get invaded by the Ottoman Empire. Thank you. Fuck it. Dude, I give up. I'm going to just go farm. Yes. Here's a uh, quick review of the actual series of questions that Trump's been asked recently leading up to this uh, Islam example, all of which he got wrong. Yes, somehow. Despite how difficult that was in each case. First, he was asked if he has an opinion uh, one way or the other on the KKK. He does not. Not yet. Then he was asked about his thoughts on protesters getting beat up at his campaign events. His answer was, yes, they are. (laughs) And then last week, during the debate in Miami, he was asked if he sticks by his previous claim that all 1.6 billion Muslims in the entire world hate America. Mm -hmm. And his answer was, yes, almost all. (laughs) Call it it like 1.5 billion. (laughs) And then after the event was over... He was asked by a different reporter, uh, really? To which he responded, yes, really, can't trick me, still win. (laughs) Well, but now in his defense, I mean, I think that's probably how many of them hate Donald Trump, but that percentage (laughs) basically holds over all demographics, doesn't it? Except for Duck (laughs) Dynasty fans. And uh, by the way, Donald Trump is still winning after doing all this. During the past week since the debate, Trump won another big handful of primaries and has the nomination pretty much locked up on the strength of millions of angry Christian people. So there's a message in all of this. Uh, I guess I'm saying that America needs to learn how to dislike Islam properly. Right. And I'm confident we can do this. I mean, <laughs> we did it just fine with Judaism over the years. There's a roadmap right there. Right, exactly. We're still and allowed Catholics in. and everything. They're doing yeah. great. And in Philly's fully feely phallus follies news tonight, the Altoona Johnstown Diocese in Pennsylvania is clearly doing their part to ensure that Spotlight gets a sequel, as evidenced by charges filed this week against funny, three though. of their priests for tax evasion. Uh, just kidding. Just kidding. It was oh. kid rape again. Oh, wonderful. Specifically, these three were charged with enabling a known serial predator for decades, up to and including interfering with police investigations into the abuse. Now, based on the findings of a Pennsylvania grand jury, the three were charged with conspiring to enable a serial predator to sexually assault more than 100 Catholic high school students. Yeah, and uh, here's where it starts getting tricky, you know, from a legal standpoint. Apparently. Because uh, Pennsylvania's version of RIFRA can be interpreted in lots of different ways. So it's going to be a 
it's gonna be a battle. Sincerely believe that you could get away with this shit. They, we did. They did. We did. Yeah, they did indeed. So the three priests charged were the consecutive office holders of the position of minister provincial in the diocese over a period spanning from 1986 to 2010, during which one Stephen Baker, a known pedophile, was repeatedly transferred to new schools every time allegations of abuse would reemerge. During this multiple decade span, no one within the diocese ever contacted law enforcement about the felonies and even actively obstructed investigations once law enforcement did find out. So, hold on. You're saying these three guys besides Baker, um, they didn't rape any kids? I'm, I'm confused. Can... Can you legally blame the guys playing the shell games just because the Red Ball's a rapist? I mean, they don't, well, they don't know. I, so far, well, no. no. they did not. Apparently, but we still. can't. And, and that's the saddest <laughs> that's thing right, about this case. It's being hailed as the broadest effort by any American court to hold the Roman Catholic hierarchy accountable for the enabling child sex abuse thing that they're known for. It's also worth wow. noting, by the way, that 47 of the 50 priests and church leaders the same grand jury found liable for abuse were not charged. And apparently, that's because there's still a fucking statute of limitations on this stuff. I'm what? I mean, how the fuck can um, there be a statute of limitation on child rape? Yeah, when you become an adult, you can't be the victim of child rape anymore, but that doesn't apply retroactively. <laughs> right. Statute of limitations? Like, you raped me when I was a kid. Yeah, in the 80s. Uh, yeah, in the 80s. Why are we dwelling on the decade? I feel like we're dwelling on the decade. Kid, not guys. The, uh, the issue. Now, for his part, the alleged rapist in question committed suicide a couple years ago when people started to piece together his interstate rape trail. But according to the grand jury, he was only one of at least eight friars who sexually assaulted children as far back as the 60s, but also as recently as 2011, which is as far forward as the records that they had went. So, so, and, and I can't say this often or clearly enough. This is not a thing that used to happen. This is not in the past. There is a pedophile fingering some unsuspecting kid's asshole right now, and the Catholic Church is protecting him. Or vice versa. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Now, keep in mind, all of this came from shit that the state seized through search warrants, so it's not like the church ever came clean here. I, I, they, they still haven't, for fuck's sake. They, they, they attached a non-disclosure agreement to the paltry $8 million settlement they divided among the 88 victims of this one guy in 2013. I, here's 90 grand, guys. Now, don't show anybody on the doll where we touched you. Have a good life. Awful. And in Mo Funny, Mo Problems news tonight, according to reports out of Egypt, Justice Minister Ahmed Al-Zind was fired from his job last week after referencing the Prophet Muhammad in a joke. Sounds like and, a bad idea. And not even a joke, really. It was more like a very small hyperbolic phrase. And he didn't even use the name Muhammad. But nonetheless, he's unemployed now and nationally reviled. So that's what Egypt's been working on. Yeah. Because, yeah. Otherwise, they're doing great. Right. I mean, guys, you kind of been resting on those, those Sphinx laurels for about 45 centuries. Time to think about maybe... <laughs> right. I don't know. Contributing to humanity again in a positive way. It's not a big deal. Just, just a thought. No hurry. <laughs> so, Take your time. Here's what happened. Uh, during a recent interview, Mr. Alzind was making the point that all criminals would be treated equally by his team of prosecutors, which sounds pretty reasonable. And he was asked, does that mean you'd even put a journalist in jail? Which is a really stupid question, <laughs> just like it sounds. But uh, he was fairly nice about it, said something like, uh, yes, obviously, if the journalist broke the law, then yes. And then he added, quote, even if he was a prophet, peace and blessing be upon him, end quote. And those are the words that apparently got him fired. Well, <laughs> duh. But I mean, for all these idiots know, 
Allah's plan is for Muhammad to get ass raped in prison for our sins. So and in which case they would have just <laughs> fucked the whole thing up. This is basic theology, guys. This is one oh one shit. So, so uh yeah, when you when you hear a story like this about a place like Egypt, it's easy to think, you know, well, that's just crazy Muslim politicians in a crazy part of the world. And it is. That's yeah, all it, true. Right. Mm-hmm. And granted, you probably won't see lots of people getting fired in the US for being uh to flip with their Jesus analogies, but we definitely still have some sacred cows over here, too. Yeah. And if Jesus was fucking a nine-year-old like Muhammad, you can be certain we'd have Christian lawyers making sure that that's protected by Riffra, too. Right. Yeah. Instead of just protected by a church hierarchy that doesn't give a shit about your kid's asshole and whose finger was in it, it would be that <laughs> and child fucker protecting lawyers. It's another layer. Good. Oh, I'm sorry. More child fucker protecting (laughs) different ones on top of the ones that we already have yeah so um i think there's a couple good takeaway lessons here first of all uh don't move to egypt already probably not the greatest place to live and uh if you do don't forget you can't even draw comparisons to muhammad without serious consequences it's a very pedantic legal system (laughs) right it's like scalia with a quran Terrifying. And in who would Jesus drown news tonight? Christian Fatwa Tier and man scrawny enough to exhibit both particle and wave-like properties, Kevin Swanson is back in the news this week, <laughs> calling for more righteous murderings. Now, of course, we first started covering Swanson way back in episode 32 when he warned America that satanic gay abortion spells were causing record flooding in Colorado. Yeah, and it uh, it turns out they were not. No, um, it was inaccurate. Gay abortion spells are, are more for droughts. You know, that's what happened in California. It's, Obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah we backwards. got empirical evidence here. But, of course, you may also remember him from episode 152 when he warned that a Hillary Clinton victory would turn the vast majority of little girls into lesbians, or episode 144 when we discussed his claims that the Disney movie Frozen was produced by Satan to turn little girls into lesbians, or episode 142 when Lucinda highlighted his claims that the successful U.S. women's soccer team was a plot to turn little girls into lesbians, or perhaps in episode 143 when he earned a 30 seconds on the clock bit by promising to smear shit all over himself if his little girl ever turned out to be a lesbian. And if you notice something of a pattern here, you won't be surprised to learn that his latest newsworthy escapade involved the calling for the execution of Girl Scout leaders for the crime of, wait for it, turning little girls into lesbians. (laughs) Here's the thing, though. I mean, if Kevin Swanson's so worried about girls realizing they're lesbians, he should be warning them not to date me for several years. (laughs) Because that keeps happening. It's, it's probably in the fine prints somewhere. Or <laughs> so during his radio program last week, he launched into what turned out to be an episode-long tirade about the evils of the Girl Scouts for the crimes of both turning little girls into lesbians and promoting communism. So during his demagoguery, he reminded his listeners that Girl Scout leaders have, quote, violated Jesus's teaching, end quote, and that, quote, it would be better for someone to have a millstone hung around their neck and thrown into the sea rather than cause a child to sin, end quote. And lest you accuse me of hyperbole by classifying that as a call for execution, he followed that up by pointing out that this instruction should be taken literally. Immediately after the bit about murdering Girl Scout leaders, he added, quote, you've got to take what he says, and that's the, the bullshit capitalized God he and you have to apply it, end quote. Wow. And communism, though? I mean, come on. Thin mints are a huge part of this economy. That's nuts. <laughs> Obviously. And in hell-to-pay fallacy news tonight, according to professional crazy things sayer and Chris Christie teacup version Glenn Beck, if you vote for Donald Trump, you're going to hell. Mm-hmm. Also, same thing if you vote for Hillary Clinton. Oh. And, um, yeah, he's probably just another shill for... Jill Stein and the Green Party at this point, but that's probably how I'm voting, just to be safe. 
even if I am falling right into Glenn Beck's trap. Well, I mean, but risky. To, to be fair to Beck, though, if enough people vote for Trump, hell may very well come to you. I, you know, I just see by the third year of his presidency, people will die showing up at the abandoned all ye hope sign saying, oh, thank God. If I had to listen to that steel wool headed jackass pronounced China one more time, I was going to bury myself alive. <laughs> Hello, guys. Got an asshole here. Where's the red hot poker already? <laughs> Haven't got all eternity. So, uh, yeah, just just for context, um, Glenn Beck has been supporting Ted Cruz for president mm -hmm. thus far. But uh, despite Beck's hunger strike to benefit Cruz, which lasted about the length of an afternoon, right, before like, supper, like yeah. half an afternoon, right. it's almost certainly not going to work out for him. So assuming Trump wins the nomination, here's how the numbers break down on this. Out of about 130 million voters that are probably going to turn out, Glenn Beck figures we're looking at something like, say, 127 million people, maybe 127.5, going to hell for eternity because of their vote this year. Right. So apparently this is where we separate the wheat from the chaff <laughs> and send the chaff to a rapey fire pit forever. And the chaff is people. Yes, of course. Unless, of course, Leatherface manages a miracle comeback. And then it's only like 65 million at that point. Well, well so. yeah, but I mean, but to be fair, many of us were already going to hell. But I guess with that joyous assurance that I won't have to spend the afterlife with Glenn Beck, we'll pause for a quick celebration and hand things over to my lovely wife, Lucinda. A man wrote the Bible. A whore is what she wants. If it's a legitimate race. It makes you a slut, right? It, cooking can be fun. Hey, I'm proud of a man. This week in Massage. One of the most visible manifestations of patriarchy is the obsession religious people have with how women dress. And I've been on both sides of this. I had a grandmother that accused me of sluttery for wearing shorts that stopped above the knee. And I've also been to Wiccan communes that link spiritual enlightenment in women to their propensity for showing strangers their tits. The more enlightened, the more tits, of course. And it used to surprise me that more of these patriarchal societies weren't encouraging women to wear less. After all, it seems to go against my experience with men that they'd prefer all women dress like upright body bags. But that's because my experience with men largely comes from a much less misogynistic culture. And most of the guys I know don't get angry that women have the power to not fuck them. And ultimately, that's what the beekeeper fashion statement is all about. It's about teaching women their bodies belong to their husbands. And insulating sexually frustrated religious leaders from the humility of knowing that nobody was lining up to fuck them before that vow of celibacy either. And the lengths that sexist cultures will go to to protect this demeaning bullshit is insane. Take, for example, the New Jerseys the Afghan women's soccer team unveiled last week. And you've already probably guessed what makes this uniform unique. But in case you either haven't or you haven't convinced yourself to believe it, I'll save you the suspense. It has a fucking hijab. Also, an underlayer that goes beneath the traditional shorts and shirt and covers every inch of flesh that isn't face. You know, because when you're sprinting down the pitch in the world's most exhausting sport in a country with an average temperature of sweltering, you really want to be wearing a ninja outfit. Of course, things are much better for female athletes in the U.S., but it's important to keep in mind that we haven't exactly solved this problem either. I mean, I won't get arrested for showing ankle, but slut-shaming is still one of the Bible Belt's chief exports. And this was on full display in an article that comes to us from the Secret Keeper Girl Facebook page via the Friendly Atheist blog via astute listener Carla. Basically, they posted this strained dialogue between a daughter and her dad about her new iPad, where the iPad cover is a stand-in for dressing modestly. So the dad asked, why did you buy a cover for your new iPad? Is it because the iPad was ugly and you were ashamed of it? 
And the daughter says, no, it's because I wanted to protect it and maintain its resale value. And the dad says, see, just like your boobs. Now, apparently this was too offensive even for people who would voluntarily join a women best be covering up that cleavage Facebook page. So the administrators ran an apology where they changed the wording just a bit. Now, they didn't change the message about women in short shorts not maintaining their resale value, but instead of closing it on the line, parents teach your daughters their value, they changed it to parents teach your daughters and sons their value. See, if you slut shame boys too, it's not sexist anymore. And for our final dollop of prudery this week, we'll turn to one of America's most prolific misogynists, Pastor Stephen Cooking Can Be Fun Anderson, who also elected to chime in on the issue of women's bodies and what they should be completely covered up by. In fact, he went so far as busting out a whiteboard so he could diagram all the various reasons that Christian women shouldn't wear pants. Now, I'll save you the trouble of listening to his mid-pubescent rant. It's because pants are men's clothing and dresses are women's clothing. Which, in my opinion, makes Jesus a chick, but whatever. According to the 22nd chapter of Deuteronomy, we should dress like the ladies' room sign. Of course, that's also the chapter about not wearing mixed fabrics or clothes with no tassels, the different rape victim obligations in the city versus the country, and murdering your bride on her father's doorstep if she doesn't bleed on her honeymoon sheets. So I guess it could have been worse. And with no more of an effort to put a positive spin on it than that, I'll bid you farewell for the week and hand things back over to Noah and Heath. Thank you, Lucinda. And and if you can't beat or join her news tonight, Christian Jabberwocketeer and drugless, brainless, talentless Kenny Rogers Rick Joyner showed up on the Jim <laughs> Baker show last week just in case Heath and I didn't have enough dumb shit to talk about tonight. Yeah, and we did, but we're going to talk about them anyway. <laughs> oh, yeah, because, I mean, I swear this whole interview sounded like an audition to make 30 seconds this week, which he failed, <laughs> by the did way. Did not work out. But I, I should, you know, the interview netted him no less than five separate articles on Right Wing Watch, including, but not limited to, <laughs> math mathematical proof that earth is 6,000 years old and we're living in the end times a quick reminder that hurricane katrina was god's indiscriminate means of punishing the gays and of course blaming the popularity of bernie sanders on the fact that the communist party secretly controls the schools oh well i mean i guess it's a good thing the hillary clinton party still controls the ballot boxes <laughs> yeah right right and the secret cold fusion machine of course. and the media apparently but <laughs> chief among his derision deserving delirium was his claim that donald trump and jesus christ are more or less the same dude according to joiner quote <laughs> of course they are yeah. you look at the type of leaders Why that not? jesus chose and they were more like donald trump's so Wait. apparently they made yarmulkes out of yak hair back then anyway <laughs> he blabbers for a minute about a, one, a bunch of glass chewing biker gang hard asses the apostles were and then he points out that they were all too timid and afraid to ask jesus basic questions he concludes from this quote think about it jesus was a tough character these are tough guys, and they're intimidated by him after three and a half years of living with him, end quote. Okay, uh, yeah, so I don't doubt that Jesus would have been the alpha dog of that gypsy, bare-knuckle, boxing, gay orgy club they had going, <laughs> but not sure how that relates to Donald Trump exactly. Well, that well, well okay, so the, the key is that the guy who spends his campaign speeches talking about feeding the hungry and curing the sick, that guy's a mole planted by footmen with communist accents. <laughs> the guy who spends the same speeches talking about how he wants to punch people who disagree with him, that's Christ. So gotcha, basically. Okay. Also, Mary Magdalene would fuck you up in a fair fight. That was <laughs> just sort of an undercurrent of the whole thing. And in god-awful movies news tonight, someone finally had the artistic vision to ask the question, 
if footmen tire you, what will Hillary Clinton do? <laughs> and that person is none other than Christian apologist and conservative political commentator Dinesh D'Souza. Would have been my guess. Who took some time away from forecasting spring with his shadow last week <laughs> to release the trailer for his upcoming anti-Democrat propaganda film called Hillary's America, which will open in theaters this summer. Critics are already describing it as a perfect movie to watch in small clips on your religious uncle's Facebook page. Right. <laughs> so book your seats now on Fandango. You want to see it on the big screen. Hey, hey, guys, remember that movie I made about how America would be eaten by dragons and we'd all be enslaved by the blacks now by if, if we reelected Obama? Remember, remember all those chillingly accurate predictions I made about how now wouldn't even exist by now? Well, it's sequel time! <laughs> yeah, so, Fucking asshat. So according to Dinesh D'Souza... This movie is going to drop some serious, serious bombshells about Hillary and the Democrats. Oh, shit. During an appearance on Newsmax TV last week. <laughs> where all the big producers, all the big producers go. Yeah. go. You got it. <laughs> Susan described it as follows. Quote, it's about this whole sordid history of a party that has, from the beginning, been defined by subjugation, exploitation, and theft. Not just slavery, but continuing with segregation Jim Crow, the Black Codes, opposing voting rights for blacks, opposing the 13th Amendment, emancipation, the KKK, forced sterilization, support for fascism, and Japanese internment during World War II. End quote. All the Democrats. That, was, okay, so. Sounds like a modern liberal. To, to all the people who ask me why Hillary, there's your answer right there, right? Some number of billions of dollars has been spent trying to assassinate her character, and the best the escaped <laughs> whack-a-mole can come up with is a list of all the bad historical shit the Democratic Party has done in the last, like, you know, 200 years or whatever. During I mean, the 1800s. Well, yeah. right. Well, like, what's this message? Like, hey guys, 100 years ago, your party was racist. Your party is voting for <laughs> Donald Trump as we speak. Right. Checkmate. I think it's. I think it's mate. I think that's mate. <laughs> Just tip it over. Go ahead. Tip yeah. it over. There you go. So uh, D'Souza also tried out some trash talk on the show. It I was, guess we'll call it. Um, yeah. He warned that Democrats are going to get served so hard they'll need professional counselors outside the theater. They're going to be in tears. All Except the Democrats that are going to go watch yeah, the right. D'Souza <laughs> movie. Exactly right. Except here's the thing. He's a very small rodent man. So <laughs> any sort of threatening language he uses, it just comes off as, you know, kind of cute and funny. You just want to feed him a carrot. <laughs> Can't really hold it very well with his tiny little hands. He's all squinty. It's adorable. Anyway, the entire movie idea feels like it clearly popped up when somebody told D'Souza that Abe Lincoln was a Republican. Uh, yeah, right. And therefore, uh, Hillary Clinton is a plantation owner and therefore liberals are all racist. Credits. Now you don't have Oscar. to spend the money on the tickets. And of course, we'll probably be reviewing that fucker when it gets to YouTube three months from now. And in what the fuck news tonight, batshit crazy woman and person who still owes Kate Blanchett an Oscar, Gwyneth Paltrow, reminded the internet of her insanity last week when she sent out a newsletter promoting a new line of magical skincare products. Now, Unlike normal skincare products that already contain dubious amounts of pseudoscientific bullshit ingredients to balance out scary-sounding stuff like sodium hydroxide, these products <laughs> offer extra bullshit in the form of having been meditated over. That's right. She's increasing the perceived value of a lotion by telling people it's been thunk near. Sat next to. Yeah, right. Yeah. By a person who was thinking. <laughs> so, uh... I'm a little skeptical. You I gotta don't be honest. Say. I mean, I have a container of lotion that I've sat next to for hours and hours while I cleared my head. <laughs> Never seemed to develop 
any magical healing properties whatsoever other than, you know, it's primary use. Now that you mention it, mine neither. Yeah. So according to the head bullshitologist Annie de Memiel, quote, we put crystals around the oils. As we macerate the herbs, we play music. <laughs> I macerate as every morning. We, as we add the base oils, we use more music, crystals, and meditation. <laughs> and as if that's not enough to sell a rational skeptic on the process, she adds, quote, then when we add the flower essences, they sit out with music too, end quote. <laughs> so more music. They play no music to your butt cream. But <laughs> if you're still skeptical, that's probably only because I didn't mention that in the blending room, they say blessings of love and gratitude oh, to your okay. butt cream. Well, um, as dumb as this all sounds, uh, I've got to give Gwyneth Paltrow some credit here, if only because these lotions don't involve shooting yourself in the vagina with a laser. <laughs> right. So yeah, yes. he's just <laughs> stepped up the safety. Still peddling complete nonsense, but slightly safer. Better. In terms of, better. you know, vaginal laser I, I, beams. I mean, when the bar is steamed vaginal, low, sure. But, but just to give you an idea of the scope of the bullshit parfait that we've got going here, when I Googled the founder's name, the first thing I saw was an advertisement for altitude oil. Um, wait, it, al did you say altitude? Yes, it's, okay. an, it's an oil that cures... Having been on a plane, <laughs> apparently, but now high places. Well, right, but you can also Cure. use it for all non-high place circumstances as well. If you read the whole thing, oh, good. And good. for a whopping ten Versatile. milliliters, you'll drop about forty-five bucks because you know because of all the the music and the and the wishing. Shit ain't free, right? And finally tonight in game the hate news, if you follow ISIS on Instagram. You may have noticed that their propaganda department is making recruiting videos that resemble scenes from popular American movies, TV shows, and video games. Well, Professor Javier Lavara of Navarro University in Spain has been noticing the same pattern. Uh -huh. And based on his research, he has two pieces of advice. First of all, you should stop following ISIS on Instagram. To say the least. Weird that you were doing that. <laughs> But more importantly, he thinks the world needs to fight fire with fire and make similar videos that are anti-extremist with heroes that fight against terrorism, what? which we're obviously already doing yeah. because that's what the ISIS videos are based on. <laughs> right. And he knows this because he just said that because that's his whole <laughs> thesis. So I'm glad Mr. Lavara is against ISIS. Me too. But <laughs> – Seemed a little confused. Yeah, I mean, what, is he proposing we need more video games about murdering brown people? <laughs> All right, gotcha. I mean, did he offer any advice on the optimal level of raping Native American video games? Because I think we're still stuck on one, if I'm if I'm not mistaken on that. So, uh, Professor Lavara is probably not going to Oslo this year for the Peace Prize, but the story did lead to an important moment for the show. Yeah, skating it atheist. Did. Let's go back in time about four days. There we were feeling confident that if someone named a random religion and a random nerd thing, <laughs> we'd have a list already compiled of terrible puns about the two things together. So when we saw this story, we obviously went through our really weird files to locate our handy list of Muslim-themed video games made ahead of time for exactly this sort of scenario. But we were shocked to find out that no such list had ever been created, which is irresponsible. Unbelievable, of us. yeah. yeah. And that's why we're going to need 30 seconds on the clock. Ideas for the Islamic Fundamentalist Video Game Company. Go. Uh, all right. I can't believe we haven't done it's this before. shocking. Uh, how about Allah Duty? Iraq Ops. <laughs> 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 
What about uh, The Legend of Zelda, Majora's Mask? That's an awesome yeah. fucking Starring, game. Starring uh, Link, the Kibla elf. <laughs> so how about something for the Syrian refugees to play on the boat on their phones? Maybe um, Thrace Invaders? <laughs> what about uh, Sitar Hero? Uh, or, or a rock or, band? Something like that? Or maybe Koran Turismo? <laughs> Or, or Koranic the Hedgehog. <laughs> nice. Or uh, what about Iran-Contra? Oh, there you go. Or- by uh, Ayatollah Konami. <laughs> oh, of course. Or Angry Kurds. <laughs> nice. Like that one. Um, I was going to say Fatwario Kart, but uh, that's already the name of a taxi service for women in Saudi Arabia. Oh, um, I see. <laughs> what about uh, Sling Blades of Steel by D-Capcom? There, oh, there you Kinda go. Kind of like there ISIS hockey. Right, right. Uh, maybe um, Suicide Bomber Man? Uh, no, Mecha Man. No, no, wait, wait, wait. OPEC Man, since their wives are already dressed like the ghosts. It would all, it would all work out. Ms. OPEC Man, yeah, there you go. Uh, what about uh, Sharia 51? Sharia? 50? Dead Sea oh, Side Scroller. Oh, there you go, Dead yeah. Dead Sea Side Scroller. <laughs> oh, no, no, hold on. What about uh, Veggie Burger Time? Going Veggie Burger Time. Oh, yeah, there you go, there you go. Um, how about Vaginal Fantasy Severed? <laughs> Severed. Get the clip. Kind of like uh, Hyman's Quest. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I've got that on FG Emulator. All right, um, <laughs> I got one more. What about Assassin's Creed? I have no follow-up. That's my That's it? <laughs> Assassin's Creed, pretty much as is. Well, I don't know. I, I might move that possessive S over to the beginning of the next word, but I think you pretty much nailed <laughs> it there. So Creed. I guess we can uh, close the headlines there. Heath, thanks as always. Grand Theft Oil. <laughs> when we come back, Connor Robinson will join us from Ghana to help us keep shitty commutes and all that kind of shit in perspective. And and before we hop into that interview, I want to emphasize from Ghana, as there were a couple of times when the connection was subpar and also there was a dog, but it mostly left us alone. Very excited to welcome my next guest to the show. Connor Robinson graduated from Yale University, where he launched the Yale Humanist Society and currently serves as the project director of the Humanist Service Corps, an international volunteer effort run by the Foundation Beyond Belief. He was the recipient of Foundation Beyond Belief's 2014 Humanist Visionary Award, and as near as I can tell from his online profile pics, he rocks a spectacular beard. Connor, welcome to The Scathing Atheist. Oh, thanks. It's good to be here. Um, now, you're joining us from Ghana, correct? Yeah, I'm up in the, uh, the, the rural northern reaches of the northern region of Ghana. So, uh, sorry for any lag that appears in the show. <laughs> yeah, no problem, no problem. We'll fix all of that in editing. None will be the wiser. So you're not just in Ghana. You're in the, like, you're in the backwoods parts of Ghana. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We're, uh, we're in the region that has, you know, uh, trip shoulder rates of poverty and a fraction of the population. It's very rural here. We actually just got through, there, there's an entire season here. It's called the Harmattan season when the uh, winds from the Sahara Desert just bring dust and heat. So you can imagine, you know, it's backwoods in a different sense of the word up here. Uh, yeah, right. Right. As as I'm sure our audience is already noticing a bit from the uh, Skype connection you're getting, not the greatest uh uh, Wi-Fi there in Ghana as well. I'm sure. No. So has has the beard still made it? Has it had been sacrificed to the equatorial heat, or uh, are you still rocking it? 
Well, actually, it, it wasn't because of heat that I, I sacrificed it. Uh, it's not, I'm not rocking the full beard at the moment. I ended up growing it for a year and a half and it got all the way down to the bottom of my chest. And then I, I shaved it actually as a fundraising, uh, stunt for oh. this, this program to, to raise money for this program. Right on, dude. Right on. He, like th- that's how altruistic this guy is. Even when he shaves, it's for somebody else. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> so now I, I should admit up front that, uh, you and I were thrown together a bit last minute. So I'm not quite as prepared as I normally would be for an interview, which means that I'm going to have to leave a lot of the heavy lifting in your hands. Um, so can you tell the audience what the Humanist Service Corps is and how you got involved with it? Absolutely. So simply put, the Humanist Service Corps is the first and right now really the only uh, international volunteering opportunity explicitly for non-believers. Now, obviously, it's it's called the Humanist Service Corps, and there are some in the you know the the wider free thought community who might have preferred a different name. Uh, we we I don't think we have to go into the politics of why we picked the name, but really the intention is to shine a spotlight on service-oriented atheism. We think that it's important. Uh, that's an important example for believers and non-believers alike. But then, of course, we also just want to do good service. So the Humanist Service Corps, uh, it is that sort of beacon of uh, ethical atheism for the world. But at the same time, it's also very careful, culturally responsible service. We think it embodies the values of humanism. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, we picked the location we are now for the launch of the Humanist Service Corps. And that's in the northern region of Ghana, working with a women's rights organization that is trying to stop the gender-based violence of witch hunting in the northern region of Ghana. Now, I I should also explain to the audience that we've got a massive time zone difference here, too. Where I am, it's like uh, just after 3 p.m., and where Connor is, it's 1586. I'm sorry, did you say which which accusations, witch hunting? Yeah, witch hunting. Oh, my yeah. God. Wow. Okay, so before we get into that, and I do want to dwell on that quite a bit, I want to go back to something you said a minute ago. Um, you said that you're dedicated to culturally responsible service. So it, what does that mean to you? Yeah, so it means it means not imposing any sort of outside ideas on local activists. It means basically putting the local leaders and the local uh, organizations in the driver's seat. So what you see a lot of times with international service, and even in the U.S., it doesn't have to be international service for, for volunteers to enter into communities that aren't their communities. Uh, you What you see is a lot of times people bringing in rather condescending attitudes right um and they don't they don't recognize that a lot of the situation is circumstantial and that the best way to change the situation is to elevate leaders from within so what we mean by culturally responsible service is we mean that uh, our volunteers are helping move forward a movement that already exists, you know? So this is, we've identified a grassroots organization and we are trying to lift that organization up. We're not trying to supplant that organization. We're not trying to steal their thunder. In fact, we, we ask our volunteers to take a backseat role because we want the face of change to be a local face. We want the faces that are giving direct services to these women we're supporting to be the faces of Northern Ghanaians, not the faces of, you know, a volunteer from, from California or right. from wherever they might be. And so that's what we think culturally responsible service means. It means uh, oftentimes, um, as well, d- 
delaying judgment or suspending judgment on certain things. Because if you think about what we're trying to do here, in order to get people to stop making witchcraft accusations, it's not primarily about helping the people who have already been victims of witchcraft accusations. Mm -hmm. It's actually helping the people who are making the accusations because they're making these accusations out of ignorance and out of, you know, very poor uh, standards of living. So that means in order for our volunteers to be effective, they actually have to work side by side with people who have done things that, you know, you and I and they find highly morally reprehensible. So that's also part of the the culturally responsible service. It's about suspending our cultural judgments, even if, you know, we think they're not just subjective in this case, but actually objective. It's a rather utilitarian thing here. Right. But I think the science really backs up that approach because, you know, we've seen time and time again that if you want to lift people out of superstition and fundamentalist religiosity, the best way to do that is to give them control over their own lives, to give them access to education and coming in there and being super judgmental is not a way to get there. That's that's awesome. So so you guys are not like going out and preaching the word of atheism and giving them a translated copy of Dawkins. You're you're just going out there actually doing humanism. Exactly. I mean, we we like to let the work speak for us. And people are naturally curious. So they certainly ask us what we believe uh, or don't believe. Mm -hmm. But really, it's the work that speaks first. And no, there there's there are no tracts we're bringing no no texts or anything like that. Uh, it's it's actually always been kind of funny. People expect that we're coming here with an ulterior motive. So oftentimes we'll finish a project with people and they'll sit down almost expecting expecting that we're about to, you know, give them the spiel. Right. And then we say, what are you doing? Get up. Like, let's go grab a beer. And they, they, even though they themselves are, are most often religious, they really seem to appreciate that. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. That's, that's so awesome. And, and, and not only are you helping to break the stereotypes globally and, 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 uh, in America about atheists and their dedication to service, but you're also helping to break the stereotypes of what people who are trying to volunteer in places like Ghana are trying to do at the same time. That's really awesome. All right. So let's turn back to these to these accused witches. That's what you're focusing on right now in, in Ghana. Well, the truth is that um, that is one aspect of the work that our partner organization does in the northern region. It's it's the most sensational aspect and it certainly grabs the most attention, but it's not the only form of gender-based discrimination that we're working on. Mm-hmm. There are other really concerning issues related to access to education, especially for younger women. There are uh, concerning issues about access to jobs. And so some of the other programs we support, in addition to, you know, raising the standard of living for these uh, women who have been banished for witchcraft accusations and then also trying to decrease accusations, we're also supporting uh, entrepreneurship programs for women smallholder farmers and other small business owners. We're supporting a program that uh, provides remedial instruction to uh, children who have fallen out of the education system for any number of reasons and want to get back in. And so this is something that is aimed at getting, you know, gender uh, equity in the classroom. I got to say, every detail that you add makes me like this organization uh, the, or your organization even more. Uh, because everything that you're saying is, is this is sustainable. This is long term. This is not, you know, we're going to come in and we're going to help you build a well and then we're going to get the hell out of here and feel like we've, you know, done our duty to the third world. Um, but rather that you're looking for sustainable long term solutions. That's great. Exactly. That's the idea. 
by putting this in the hand, by keeping all of this in the hands of this partner organization that is here and will always be here, that's part of our approach to sustainability. Right on, right on. So, like, what other specific projects do you have going on uh, in the area, or is is it all just partnering with uh, with this uh, partner organization? Well, so this is the launch year, and uh, the focus right now is definitely on this partner organization. But I can mention one project in particular that's really sort of like the, I guess, I don't know if this is the right analogy, the jewel in our crown this year. It's a medical project in one of the communities where women are exiled. And this community, to uh, to be clear, is not just of alleged witches. There are, you know, their families and a full, a, a full vibrant community has, strung, has uh, sprung up around here. But the truth is that, you know, it's a community where people have to walk kilometers to water. It's a community where the access to healthcare is minimal. And so that's, uh, those are really our two primary focuses in this community. But I'm going to talk about the, the medical issue. We've put together a project whereby we're providing free health screenings to the entire community. And that in and of itself is great. I mean, we've, we've already identified, uh, nearly 30 cases of malaria. And as most people know, of course, early identification of malaria saves lives. And in fact, malaria is one of the medical or health issues connected to witchcraft accusations because, uh, people who get malaria have fever and then fever causes fever dreams and dreams are considered evidence here for, uh, for witch hauntings, basically. Oh, so, wow. uh, that's an issue. But anyway, I, I'm getting, I'm getting, uh, off the, off the path for, for a minute. So let me get myself back. One of the really cool things about this project that we're doing is that we are organizing all of the information that we collect from these health screenings into a medical record system that is in English and the local language Dogbanli and patches one of the flaws, one of the fatal, and I mean that literally flaws, of the Ghana Health Services record system, which really uh, inhibits, impedes access for most people to uh, their own records, their own medical records, which of course is not what you want to do when you're trying to get people to maintain their health, to keep right. track and to come in uh, for regular checkups. So, I mean, that, that to me is... Um, it just embodies what we're trying to do here. And it was a project that was designed in concert with the locals and our partner organization and even uh, the medical officials and the authorities uh, from the Ghana Health Service. So, I mean, it was a really collaborative effort. And like I said, you know, we're going to leave it in the hands of the medical professionals when we leave. And that's going to be something that they can carry on and they can use for forever, you know, if they maintain it. Right on, right on. Now, okay, so the, you, you actually brought me around to a question I had uh, earlier, and, and that's a, about the Ghanaian government. Are, are they supporting this effort in any way? Well, so the, the Ghanaian government would uh, – they they wish – so much that they could just make these uh, witch camps disappear. I mean, it's it's an embarrassment right. uh, that that these these are here. But but at the same time, these witch camps actually do provide sanctuary for women, many of whom would otherwise be lynched by mobs of angry accusers. So um, the the solution is not to just shut down these camps immediately without actually remedying all the circumstances that are leading to accusations and making it safe for these women, obviously. So the the government does have some investment in getting these uh, the rates of accusation to go down and in reintegrating the women from the camps as quickly as possible. Uh, 
And they, they've partnered with some major grant giving organizations like USAID, uh, to make that happen. We don't directly receive any support from the government. They're not impeding anything. Our partner organization, Songtaba, does get some funding from the government uh, for programs like its education program, that, that remedial education program I mentioned, but not for reintegration itself, not for this witchcraft accusations issue. Uh, now, it remains to be seen. We're not engaged in this work yet because it's very sensitive and we're only in our first year, although we probably want to get there at some point. It remains to be seen what the government will do when we actually start putting uh, legal pressure, when we actually start diverting these women who have had their human rights taken away from them to the legal resources that are available to them. And we educate them about all of, you know, all of the treaties that Ghana has signed, all of the UN declarations and all of these NGOs that are, that are available that exist simply to help them. Uh, access the 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 court system. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if if when we do that and you know we're putting pressure in ways the government doesn't like that that might change things. But for now, uh, we're we're definitely on the same side, and we'd like to keep it that way without sacrificing our integrity on this issue. So then, of course, obviously, the next question: If it's not being funded by the local government, how exactly is your project being funded? Yeah. So it, right now, it's basically funded by individual donors. Uh, who are following what we're doing and support what we're doing and by Foundation Beyond Belief. And we, you know, we're, we're constantly raising money for our specific projects. And yeah, so that's, that's basically what it is at the moment. Right on. Well, now I've got to say, and I don't mean to brag here, but we've discovered again and again that we have an incredibly charitable audience. Uh, so if they wanted to get involved and wanted to help you out, uh, what can they do? Where can they go? Well, there are, that's, that's fantastic to hear. Um, there are two really big opportunities right now for donors, large and small, and we need them all, honestly. And that first one is, re- the first one is related to that medical project I was just describing. Because we've, because Foundation Beyond Belief and HSC has put a trained nurse with, you know, years of experience in place to organize this project, we've been able to do it aside from that initial investment in the volunteer for very, very little cost. We're actually providing all of those health screenings and the implementation of that new record system for only $5,000. And that's for about how many people? Yeah, that's for, that's for 1200 screenings. Oh, wow. And for an entirely new, um, system, record system. So, I mean, we think that's a pretty high standard for, for financial efficiency there. Um, and right now we've, uh, we've raised, uh, nearly $1,400 of our $5,000 goal. So if anyone can chip in there, that would be greatly appreciated. And every donation, I mean, it's literally, we're talking about every donation being, malaria tests and we are going through those malaria tests or you know lancets for uh for diabetes and high high blood pressure testing you know that's what we're looking at so i mean every every donation is impactful now the other one the other donation opportunity is a pretty cool one and it's uh very limited time wise we've uh finally succeeded in getting our partner organization songtaba online to receive donations and they're on global giving which is a, a a major philanthropic platform and they're on global giving with a campaign that's part of global giving's march open challenge now in the open challenge what happens is campaigns or organizations running campaigns are given only 2 weeks 
to raise $5,000 for that campaign from 40 unique donors. Now, that's a big challenge. But if they do it, then they become a permanent cause on global giving. Now, our partner organization, Songtaba, although they do fantastic work, they're not well recognized by the international community and they are still pretty small. So if we could, if we could succeed in getting 40 unique donors and $5,000 for this campaign, the campaign we're running is specifically about ending witchcraft accusations and reintegrating women who have been accused of witchcraft. That would be a major coup for Songtaba, who would then have the opportunity to to raise awareness with a large international audience and to raise front funds from them as well. For us, that would be, you know, that would be evidence of what the Humanist Service Corps can do for partner organizations. But then most important, of course, for these women and for this situation in the northern region of Ghana, to be able to raise awareness long term and bring in funds long term to fight against, I mean, what we're fighting against really is entrenched, entrenched. And we, I think it would be a major step forward for us, for Songtaba, for the women in this region, if we were able to get that sort of recognition on global giving. So that's another opportunity to donate that, um, that I am very excited about. And I think we can do it. I think we can do it. Well, I'll tell you what, again, I don't mean to brag, but our audience raised $7,000 in an hour the last time we, we, uh, Rocked it out for a charity. I have a sneaking suspicion that they can really help out. And obviously, we'll have links on how to donate on the show notes for this episode. We'll also be sharing them on our uh, social media, and we'll be keeping you up to date. Now, you said that they had two weeks. This is going to air on Thursday at 8 a.m., so how much time will we have left by then? So this ends on the 25th. March 25th. So uh, I don't have the dates in my head straight, but I, that'll still leave a few days. Oh, well, that's that's easy. That's easy. So we're going to get that taken care of for you, man. I really appreciate the work that you're doing, and I want to give you a big thanks for taking a break for uh, for a few minutes to chat with me today. Oh, I sincerely appreciate your help. Thanks, Noah. Yeah, you bet. Before we clear out the stragglers tonight, I wanted to sweeten the donating to Songtaba pot a little bit. So I, I wanted to assure you that if you donate to their fundraiser in the next nine days and send me a screen grab or some other proof of your donation, I would be happy to compliment your very deserving genitals and or intellect in next week's show or the one after that, depending on when you uh, donate. And if you donate more than $20, Eli will insult a person of your choice also on the show. I'm confident that we can help push him over the edge. And remember, you might only be making a one-time donation, but if we can get them past their goal, that donation is going to reverberate for a really long time. Anyway, that's all the blasphemy we've got for you tonight, but we'll be back in 10,022 minutes with more. If you can't wait that long, be on the lookout for a brand new episode of our sister show, God Awful Movies, debuting Tuesday at 8 a.m. Eastern, or get your fix of mid-not Thursday scathiasm by following us on Twitter or liking us on Facebook. Obviously, it's not a show until I thank the lovely and talented Heath Enright, whose loveliness and talent gets overlooked far too often in these outros. I also need to thank the bold and beautiful Lucinda Lusions for giving up her lovely and talented tag for the week. Another big thanks to Connor for rigging a sat phone to a smartphone to a dumb phone to a tablet to a stationary bicycle or whatever he had to do to get the word out tonight and I also want to thank Isabella for providing this week's Farnsworth quote it probably would have been plenty cute if she hadn't said involved but she did so it's even cuter but most of all of course I need to thank this week's best filthy monkey descendants Jonathan Tim Adam Eric Jacques Al Aslak Alex Ricky Glenn Sean and Darren Jonathan Tim Adam and Eric whose condoms can be used to trap submarines in wartime Jacques Al Aslak and Alex who are so bright the sun can't stare directly into them and Ricky Glenn Sean and Darren who are so rational the ratio of the circumference of their balls 
balls to their diameter as an even 3.14. Together, these 12 selfless, helpful, helpful heathens made our resentful potential less stressful this week by giving us money. Not everybody has the money to give us money, and if you do this week, you should probably give it to accused witches that like have to walk miles to get drinking water instead of giving it to us. Again, links to that's going to be on the show notes and all our various social media platforms, as well as in the description box for this episode. So if you're on your phone, you might just be a tap away from a donation as we speak. If you have questions, comments, or death threats, you'll find all the contact info on the contact page at scathingatheist.com. All the music used in this episode was written and performed by yours truly, and yes, I did have my permission. They need to fix Explorer. That doesn't rhyme with... No, no, not Dora. unless you're a fucking Kennedy. Yeah. <laughs> Explorer! Or maybe right. Donald Trump. <laughs> Dora was an explorer. Teddy goes, yeah, Dora the explorer. Providence. All right.